Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's he listening to? Same song over and over. Throw me the ball and watch what I do with it. Uh, uh. We got Bow Wow in the house. My man Lil Zane. Uh, Lil Wayne. Sammy Saint took me. Strike one. Caught you by surprise. Strike two. Right before your eyes. Bitch three. This one's to the wall. Oh. Don't mess up the recording. I don't want to Dude, hear any close I, calls. I, I, I've done it. It's been twice. It's been twice. It's scary. Uh, it's all scary. right. Here we go. What's up, everybody? And welcome to another episode of your favorite college baseball podcast, your favorite baseball podcast, Believe in College Baseball, with your hosts, Alan Styles and Orlando Razo. If you're listening to us, you're probably listening on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, or Luminary. But if you didn't know, you can listen on all those platforms. Well, now you know. While you're there, be sure to rate us. Give us five stars if you like us. If you don't like us, don't give us five stars. But at least let us know why. Hey, Orlando, how's it going? What do we have today? It's going well. Actually, like five minutes before this, I killed a scorpion. Um, I'm dead, dead serious. Hashtag Arizona first, life. My first, uh, first victim, first scorpion victim. Was it I in thought about house? leaving him. Do they go in your house? Yeah, well, I'm on the second floor, so I rarely get them, but I've seen a couple. My cousin killed one one time, so that was my first. I thought about leaving his body out there just to kind of show, you know, his yeah. friends if they um, – This was going to happen. They, yeah, if you come in this territory. But anyway, that's can, not – Can they actually there. kill you, though? Can they kill you? I think the babies can. The babies have – because it's almost like, you know, uh, like a baby superhero that doesn't know their own power, and they're just like like the baby from The Incredibles. Mm. Um, so they don't know their own, like, venom yet. So I think they just release a ridiculous amount of venom. Got it. Got it. Interesting. Interesting. Thank you. Wildlife um, with Orlando. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to get into more details sometimes, but we have an amazing special guest uh, that probably just – sat through uh, a minute that he'll never get back on scorpions um, but he's a one-time minor league all-star uh, in the milwaukee brewer system former seattle mariners system member he's also a harvard grad he's an entrepreneur and he is the owner of a college no hitter uh, that's noah zavalis noah um, we really really appreciate the time out of your extremely busy busy day of uh preparing for next season but uh, thanks for the time. Thanks for coming on. Oh, absolutely. I, I would not have missed a, a chance to talk with the Steve Harvey Emeritus from the uh, 2018 Everett Aqua Sox bullpen. This is, this is a real treat for me, too. Well, I appreciate that uh, this is a two-way street, and, and we're kind of sharing the honor on both sides. I'm sure Alan is honored as well, aren't you, Alan? I am. Extremely You're honored, Alan? Yes. Okay, that's really good. So you're – an extremely interesting guy. There's a reason I wanted you to, wanted to have you on the podcast. You, 
kind of a finesser. I mean, of course, once again, Harvard grad would love one of the listeners to, to count how many times I'm going to say that during this interview and just get back to me on that. Uh, but yeah, Harvard grad just done, done a lot of cool shit. Um, so let's get the baseball stuff just out of the way first. Um, you are the owner of a college no hitter. Uh, what was that like? Take us through it. Um, who and who was it against? So that was that was a special night all the way around. Uh, I guess putting it mildly, it was, I believe, the only um, the only league game that I I ever played in on a Friday night at school. It's it's very very atypical for um, Ivy League baseball series to begin on Fridays, we, we typically play two Saturday, one Sunday or or vice versa. Um, but, but either way, there was, I think some weather coming in on the, on the tail end of the weekend. And so it was decided that we were going to bust down to Yale on uh, Friday morning, play one that night. And then I think two Saturday and come home Sunday or come home Saturday night. Um, but either way it was, it was, a, a really wonderful venue and setting because Yale's got this old um, double A park that, you know, it's, it's historic and has kind of maintained that, that aura of, you know, yesteryear almost. Um, but they've done a great job in, you know, turfing the field and, and kind of keeping it up to date for a, a college facility. Um, and, and Yale is also uh, quite close to, to Cambridge and, and quite close to, um, where I'm from in Massachusetts. So by, by luck of the draw, both my parents, uh, one of my very good friends from high school and my host family from the previous summer uh, on the Cape happened to be in attendance. They all just kind of said, Oh the yeah, Cape? you know, it's the Cape. Sorry, I didn't yeah. mean to interrupt um, you there. Yeah. I go once again, uh, f- former member of the Cape. <laughs> yes. Uh, shout out to the, the Wareham Gateman. Um, Truly, truly a first-rate organization, um, but it it, it, was, it was very special that it, it just happened to be there, and, and my host family from the Cape happened to decide to just come on up, um, or not even up, I guess, due west for them. But either way, it was you know what I what I remember most about that night is who is there, um, and that's you know the the no hitter, all, all that is is well and good, and it was incredibly special for that to happen, but it was, I think even more so to, you know, to have it unfold in real time in front of uh, some people that, that really helped me even be able to, to be in that position. Um, so that's, that's something I'll, I'll always share with, with my mom and my dad and, um, and my host family too. That was, that was really cool for them to get to see that after a, you know, kind of a magical summer proceeding on the Cape where things yet again just un- unfolded well and uh and things just kind of lined up for me that's uh that's really awesome that you say that yeah i mean not even to get you know uh, it, i guess in the feelings a little bit but when you say you know despite the fact that you threw a no hitter that's probably the biggest pitching like on the field accomplishment of your life i mean other than you know being drafted i guess being an all-star but i mean you own a no hitter and the, the thing that you remember about it is, is who you got to share it with. And that just like seems to be the case with any athlete, you know, and, and going back uh, to their seasons and, and when they get nostalgic about, um, you know, their playing days. It's, it's really not, not about 
um, you know, what happened on the field. It's, it's about like what happened after, like the conversations that you had about it with your teammates and all that stuff. Like I can remember when we clinched the playoffs in Boise and yeah. <laughs> I don't even like, I don't even remember the game. I just remember after just getting housed. Like I, like, I, I it was just awesome. Well, I'll tell you, I remember the game because it was one of, I think it was Max Roberts start and they didn't tell anyone in the bullpen that he was going to go like a plan three. <laughs> and, you know, here comes Moises or, or, um, or Ace running down to the pen saying, hey, you got to get hot. And I'm, you know, sitting there thinking, what? Um, so I think I ended up going four, not, you know, just having no idea what was going on. Um, Wait, so did you get the win then? But you're, you're absolutely right. I, I actually might have. Um, nice. Clinch. But, so but to you your point, you're, you're, you're absolutely right about, you know, I, I think anyone who's, who's done this for – for even a short period of time will tell you that what they take with them when it's all said and done are, are the stories and, and the relationships with guys. I mean, the fact that we're sitting here right now um, having this conversation and, and, you know, the, the Steve Harvey bit about, you know, us, us playing bullpen games in Everett. Um, you know, those, those are the stories. Those are the things I look back upon really, really fondly um, because that's, those, those are, are very special experiences that you just, you don't get to share with anyone, you know, when you're working a nine to five or, um, you know, when you're out in the real world, being a real person, you're not, you're not a little kid at recess anymore. And it's, it's really fun to, to look back on those times. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Alan, do you have anything to, yeah, no, I was just going to say, I was just going to say, I uh, famously was a part of a one hitter, which actually got broken up in the ninth inning and the ball was hit over my head in left field and it gave me nightmares forever. Um, luckily, uh, the guy still got drafted cause he was only a sophomore, I think at the time still got drafted, but it, it'll, it haunts me to this day because I don't think I could have got it. I, um, long story short, the center fielder told me to scoot in a bit because nobody was touching the guy. And then one of their boppers came up, hits it right over my head. And like, to this day, I'm like, I, you know, of course I come in after winning the game uh, and the pitching coach, of course, is the first one to greet me and say, it would have been nice to see you lay out for that. But it's like behind your head, right? <laughs> like, I mean, I was like, I mean, sure, I could have. I don't think I would have got it, but it haunts me. To yeah, the, you lay out and that, you know, maybe maybe there goes the shutout too. Exactly, exactly. Right, like so it haunts me to this day. But my question is, because we all know college baseball isn't, you know, uh, isn't the, the the shining star when it comes to college sports. So I'm curious, and I always wondered because I never knew because the one I was in got blown. Did you, What type of pub did you get from the no-hitter? Like, I guess it matters if the game was televised. Like, did it get on SportsCenter? I know I've seen a no, like a college no-hitter on SportsCenter before, but I don't think they all make it. You know it's what I mean? Kumar. So, Kumar. No, you're right. You're right. And, yeah. and I, I will tell you that uh, there was a little bit of rain in the forecast, and I think for that reason, the Ivy League Digital Network decided, no, you know, this oh isn't one that we're going to set up our cameras for. Right. Um, and so to this day, I don't know if there is film circulating, you know, out in the ether of of this uh, of this game. Obviously, you know, every, every minor league baseball game is recorded down to you know the rookie level, but right, this was one that. Um, I, I don't, at least, at least I should say, I've never seen footage. 
Right. Um, so it's all right. hearsay at this point. Yeah, it's, it's all it's all left yeah, there's up really to no sidearm sports. Sidearm uh, sports is all yeah. you got left. What is it in uh, in Lord of the Rings when they say you know legend becomes myth? It's that's what's going to happen. You know, it's yeah. just going to get. It it's going to be a perfect game soon. They're going to be talking about well, that. Well, I'll you know? tell you. I'll tell you, Alan. It was you know to your point about you know laying out versus not. I was the mm-hmm. one that yokoed my own perfect game. I think it was the seventh or eighth. Um. Oh, yeah, ground ball hit to the first baseman. He laid out, made a, a beautiful play, and flipped it to me, and just tipped off my glove and scooted over to the the dugout. So, oh, and, and it was thankfully it was an error. It was thankfully it was an error, and it was my error. Right, um, right, right, right. Yeah, there is yeah. there is no way to to save that relationship. You know, someone makes an error to to blow up your perfect game. It's just like you never you never forget that. No right. how hard you try. Right. Yeah. Part of me feels like, because he had already walked a couple of people. Part of me is like, you know what? Maybe if I lay out, it hits. My, but even if you lay out and if you don't get it, it's still a hit. So even if it yeah, hit if you my glove, feet, it's a hit. right. So even if I, it, it hit my glove, you know, I, I was screwed. So I, I put it on the center fielder. Right. I mean, he told me to scoot it, you know, but, uh, that's no, on I him. Mean, yeah, exactly. So no, that's, that's awesome though. It's, it's a shame you didn't get, uh, you know, the, the sports center pub, but it lives in our hearts forever. And that's all that matters. Yes, indeed. It's almost my last thing on this. It's almost like it's cooler that there's no footage because now, like I said, you know, it's just a ledge. It's a campfire story. You know, they're going to be talking about it at Harvard for years to come. Like, you know, there's no, but he was dominant that night. You know, that's Zavallis. I'm I'm sure someone's got the scorebook sheet somewhere. Um, I mean, if you if you want hard evidence, I'm sure someone could dig up something. But no, you you are right. It's it is uh, it's one of those things that kind of gets gets put into 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 mythological terms. Yeah. Um, oddly enough, the the guy, or I should say, the the last guy to do it, the guy that that threw a no hitter before I did at Harvard, is now the the Red Sox scouting director. Um, from Massachusetts and played on the same team on the Cape that I did. So there, you know, after the fact, when we, you know, someone started to look back in the, the history books for, okay, like who was the last one to do it before Noah did it? Uh, lo and behold, it's this guy that, um, you know, he and I share a, a lot of um, oddly specific similarities. So it's just one of those lineages that, you know, will will live on and you know, hopefully it doesn't get broken anytime soon but we'll see. Hey man. Well, once again, it's, it's in our hearts forever. Um, I, I do want to fast forward just to last season. This is really like the last baseball question I have before we get into some fun stuff. Um, but last year you shoved, man, you were an all-star uh, was it in the Carolina league. Yep. Is that what all-star in the Carolina league for the, uh, you guys, the mud, mud wrestlers, the mud cats. <laughs> you know damn well it's the Mudcats. Mud okay. wrestlers would be pretty good too, though. Yeah, I like the Mud wrestlers. Um, but yeah, Carolina Mudcats um, and, and Brewers have a really good system. But I guess take a, that was your first full year in pro ball. Um, so take us yes, through last was. year. And I always knew that you were really good. Like it was pretty evident, you know, uh, for the listeners. Four pitches for strikes into the low to mid nineties. Are you in the mid nineties yet? There, you know, there were there were. Again, hearsay. We keep coming back to this of a of a you know a something in the mid '90s up in um, 
up in Vancouver. So who knows? Maybe the I probably was maybe the translation. Stand, so maybe it was I can lost in translation. That. But I, I do know radar gunning you. I I do know the the fastest pitch I you know that that the Brewers at least have on record was from that game in Boise. Oddly enough, um, I think I hit ninety three once, and it was like, oh my god, you know that's. That's that's technically mid nineties, right? No, te- definitely um, I falls back into the mid nineties. Um, so I, I would I would say comfortably low. I, you know, I'm I'm not a, a an upper level velo guy by any means. Um, but okay, so four that. pitches for strikes, right. low nineties, very well, humble. You clearly. know, so, so so here's well, I'm now I'm curious. You know, for the game, <laughs> right? So it's ninety six. That is that mid. Is ninety six mid? That's the that's the end of mid, right? I say that's the mid, the end of mid for that's sure. I don't. It exactly. feels it feels hot to me. It feels like high velo to me. If you throw ninety six, you're definitely telling people that you throw high nineties. But, but no, no, you top out you're... at ninety six. So are you a mid guy? Definitely. Really, ninety six feels hot to me. What do you got, Zavallis? I don't know. Well, I mean, I've always used the, the the grading scale, right? I mean, is a 96 an A or an A plus, right? It's an A. But it's it's uh, an A. Oh, that's yeah, very yes, right. That's yeah. right. It's Harvard guy using yeah. – uh, using Yeah, I, I never scale, got, I got that high, you know. I See, I, is it a C? Well, it's the grade inflation. I mean, I can't, I right. can't take too much credit. <laughs> right, right. Well, in some grading scales too, 96 is an A plus. What, what's it depends really? on the professor. What's, well, yeah, yeah. What is that? It just depends that AP on the AP Orlando? Is that AP well, classes? In high school, I did take <laughs> AP. Um, but no, I'm just saying like – You get a Harvard guy on, you got to talk about being AP? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I graduated with a 2.0, so that's not – we're not uh, – <laughs> Wait, how did they let you graduate? 2.0. You, that's the literally that's, the minimum that's good. graduate. Yeah. It, it, you would be proud of the story, the way I did it too, because I went back to school last year to get my degree. Shout out to the professor. She's the homie. Um, so she gave me a, like a bunch of B's on my essays and I ended up getting a B minus in the class and I needed a B to graduate. And I emailed her and was like, look, I'm not asking for you to reboost my grade, but can you like regrade some of these essays? Here's where I think, uh, you know, I hit the, you know, nail on the head right there should earn some points. So all I, I don't hear back from her for like three days. So I'm like shit in my pants. Like, I'm like, wow, I'm gonna have to go back to school again and, and deal with this BS. So I get an email back from her saying, uh, great job on the essays, like added the necessary points. So, that's that's wow. my graduation. Look sport. at you. Yeah. There you yeah. go. You did it. You did yeah. it, man. I think <laughs> I, we I think I, we went off on a tangent again. Yeah, yeah. No, we definitely did, but it's a good tangent. Like I think this is uh this is really healthy. When when you when you when something's on your mind, you just gotta say it. That's true. Um, but I was I was getting the last season, your your first season in Pro Ball, you were an all star, throw four pitches for strikes, nineties, whatever. Take us through last season, the grind of it, because you actually finished really strong too. I think in August, your ERA was like ridiculous, some ridiculous number. Um, so take us through last season and kind of how you you maintained your strength throughout. Yeah, of course. And, and I mean, this was, 
as you say, it was the first full season, a lot of firsts for me. Um, it was my first time as a starter in pro ball because I was not in the rotation ever. Um, it was also the first time throwing on a five-day rotation uh, ever because uh, in college it was it was a seven-day swing. So there was a lot to get used to. Um, and again, it was all it also happened to be my first spring training and, and with a, a new club to boot. So a lot of a lot of the spring training was just kind of figure out how to do that, uh, figure out what the spring training schedule was, and, and just kind of get through that, you know, try and try and show what I can do. Um, and and at that point, I, I think the Brewers had had kind of already slated me to go to High A and and jump over the Midwest League, which, to be quite honest, I think the the week and a half or two weeks I spent in Modesto the summer before really helped with. Um, but we, you know, we get to Carolina and, and things start out okay. And it, you know, I kind of quickly settle into the, the, at least the understanding that, okay, you know, I, I, I can handle this. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not wildly overmatched because I'm in high A as opposed to rookie ball or low A. Um, and I was very fortunate to, to have both a manager and a pitching coach, um, who who were kind of steady hands uh, on the on the tiller for a full season. Um, both guys are kind of you know energetic, but knew when to push and knew when to pull, um, and that that allowed me to just kind of develop a comfort level with the the organization and the league and the guys around me. Um, also, happen to have you know three phenomenal catchers, uh, which always always helps. So things, you know, it, it basically built up to the point where I was kind of going pretty deep into games early on. Um, and I think I got to the break at like 90 innings. And so at that point it was, uh, a, a, it was kind of a harbinger of, you know, you might not finish the season cause you're going to run into your innings limit. Um, and at that point, you know, I, I kind of, kind of stumbled into the all-star break. I'll, I'll freely admit I had a couple not not great starts going in and then was kind of rejuvenated at the break, um, got a little bit more rest. And um, as you say, like August was a good month. July and August were, were pretty good for me. Um, and and really the, the, the pro style, I think, you know, just to handle your business, show up if you need to be in the weight room you get in the weight room if you need to uh be with the trainer you go and do that it's it's a little bit different from the the college style where you have your team lifts at a set time on a set day and you know if that doesn't line up perfectly with the fact that you started saturday or or sunday um tough so in, in pro ball it's it's much different in that you you build your own routine and i i am a very routine oriented guy and so that i think really played well for me. So I was able to show up to the clubhouse early and, and do all the things I needed to do to, to keep my body feeling good. Um, and so that was, that was something I was really happy with, really pleased with, especially towards the end of the season is that, you know, I never really ran into a, a start day where, you know, I was just dragging. I, there were, there were days where I didn't have my best stuff, but there wasn't a time where it was like, I don't even know if I can get it over the plate. Um, and so that, that, was a you know was a confidence booster in and of itself just kind of having an idea of what i needed to do to go out there and and feel good and and be able to to be competitive and you know give us a chance to win 
Um, so, you know, a lot of learning lessons. I, I added a, a new slider two thirds of the way through the year, um, which, which popped up as, you know, a pretty damn good pitch. And you know, so I was learning, learning that towards the end and trying to integrate that into the pitch breakdown that the Brewers wanted me to shoot for. Um, and so there was, there was a little bit of, you know, adjustment on the fly there, but it, it really was, you know, a, a successful season in, in more ways than one the, the on-field stuff. That was great, but, I think there was a lot of development that went on too um, and, you know, really kind of set me up for a good off season. And, and then, you know, obviously 2020 was supposed to be a, a I guess it would have been a double a year. Um, and then that didn't happen. So the, the full, the full Carolina league experience was, was phenomenal. I really enjoyed it. Um, but it, it kind of left me, left me hungry for the next one too, because I had to, I had to shut down, first week of August, maybe the second week. And so it was kind of a bummer not to be able to finish out the season, you know, just front to back, go the the full, what is it, 20 or 25 starts. Um, but that's what happens when you're, you're going six, seven, eight innings pretty consistently. Right. I was going to say, that's what happens when you're shoving is you're going to hit your innings limit. So, I mean, it, it sucks that it happened, but it also just means that you were out there, you know, being a young shover. <laughs> is that no, that's is that, a fair that's, point it's a fair yeah, point it's definitely a fair point um but yeah going going to your point of uh and like of this year was supposed to be the big year we don't even like to bring up like when when covid first started we were like oh i mean you know what was it like what was this like i think 2020 like we've seen enough you know it's almost like we'd yeah. rather just talk about the yeah. the stuff that makes us happy yeah. um that'd be just than, fine by me rather than just being sad so don't think yeah. that we're not glossing over the fact that there's just no season right yeah right. and and you know there's there are silver linings to everything without without getting too deep into the weeds um it, it has been nice to kind of have a have control over my life uh for for a rather extended period of time and i think there's a lot of um development from a baseball standpoint that has gone on through this opportunity to take a step back and, you know, understand, okay, I have a little bit more time, a little bit more flexibility to address these different things that I wanted to, to really focus in on. So that, and that's, that's really in, in a, in a very small nutshell, the way I've tried to approach this is what, what can I take from this um, and bring into 2021 that's going to make me even better. The wait is finally over. Football is back. We just had a full slate of week one games. They were phenomenal. Um, I bet the board. Alan bet the board. Everyone's betting the board. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at betonline.ag from game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props. BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. There's always the online casino as well, and it never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag. Sign up today and bet the board. Well, yeah. didn't, didn't you develop a, a business? Now, like, I, I don't really know much about – I said entrepreneur. 
and I don't know if you're allowed to discuss this or, or what, but I said entrepreneur. Didn't you develop, aren't you like uh, making putters, like you're a carpenter? First of all, I didn't even know carpenter was still like a profession. I know Jesus's dad, <laughs> Joseph, well, I guess God, not God. God is, I guess you could say God is the carpenter. of Jesus's human father. Jesus's human father, Joseph, was a carpenter. So are you taken after um, uh, Joseph? You want to elaborate that on? elaborate on that a little bit well i wouldn't i wouldn't say i model myself on any particular biblical figure um i will say that i've collected broken bats my whole life um that started years and years and years ago um and you know it's it, it's the kind of thing where okay you have all these bats now it wasn't i i didn't collect them because i like to look at them it was because you know i, I thought okay what what can I make out of these? Um, and initially it was take the, take the knobs and make a, a hat rack or something or a wine stopper you know, a bottle stopper. And that has uh, it really opened my eyes to the, the many different things you can do with a baseball bat. You know, what, what can it be besides a bat? And part of my off season, which I spent out here uh, doing a, a brewer's directed training program, was working at a, a a local driving range just as a you know a job that fit the hours really well so i've you know i've, I've been around golf for a, a an extended period of time and i i myself am not a golfer at all can't even hit a driver straight but being in the shop and, and my job is to to regrip golf clubs and and do some some repairs um so being being there and kind of understanding okay what what a golf clubs need to be functional and then having some some broken bats on hand to just kind of mess around with, um, I sketched out a you know a very rudimentary design and thought, all right, you know, let me let me see if I can make this up. I wonder I wonder if it'll work. So I made one and showed it to a uh, actually Jordan Cowan, who's a member of the Mariners organization and a, and a good friend, um, and he was he was all about it and gave me one of his bats that he had custom engraved, uh, and then subsequently broke. Um, and so I made him a putter out of that bat and the, you know, you could see his name on it and the model and the, you know, the, the different ball marks and all that. And so it was, it was a, a much more personal touch. Um, so he, he grooved on that and, and, you know, just word kind of got around uh, and it's, it's, it, it comes in, in fits and starts. It's not a, a um, necessarily a sustainable gig, but anytime someone wants a putter made up, um, I've got bats or they'll send me a bat and I'll, I'll convert it into a putter. That is awesome. Outstanding. Outstanding. I, I do have a question though, before we go anywhere deeper into this, the very beginning when you said you, you know, collect the broken bats, I, I really got to ask you when you were getting those broken bats, because timing is everything. And there was always a guy on the team that as soon as you broke your bat was ready to take your bat and you're salty because you just broke your favorite bat and they're like, bro, can I have your bat? So I'm just hoping yeah. that you had the, you know, you finessed it a bit and you knew to wait a little bit. Hey, you know, or maybe you wait for them to throw it away because there was always that guy that's like, I mean, there's a hitter that thought that they could like tape it up and it'll be my practice bat. It's like, okay, whatever. And then there were, I guess the pitchers that were just like, just wanted the bats. And it's like, look, man, I just got sawed off with a runner on first and third, no outs. 
take the bat if you want the bat. Like, well, why, can't you yeah. wait two seconds? You're you're absolutely right in that there is a significant amount of feel involved in in requesting a uh, you know a hundred dollar piece of lumber that a guy just you know just snapped. Um, I've kind of perfected the art maybe of um, of you know finding or, or pulling them out of the trash or just waiting you know see if, seeing if guys yeah. bring them back. Um, the other thing that that really I think helps the medicine go down is. Um, especially for guys that have those engraved bats. One of the, the things that I did even before the putters was I'd, I'd cut their name or their signature out of the barrel um, and, and kind of make a, a, a slab or a chip, you know, like a, mm-hmm. name tag. basically a, a, exactly. You know, it's almost a smartphone sized name tag. And then I'd, I'd put a bottle opener attachment into that. Um, and so, you know, okay, you know, a guy understands, hey, you know, if I give Noah my bat, you know, he'll, he'll make me something out of it. He doesn't, he doesn't want to just, you know, hang it up or, or put it in his right. garage. These are, these are being recycled and, you know, there, there is a, a, a pretty cool aspect of having, having something made out of a bat that you broke with your name on it. Uh, yeah, so that I think changes guys- everything. That changes everything. And so, you know, I, I'm talking about the guys that had no plan and they actually also didn't know what they wanted to do with the bat. They just wanted it at that time. No, no, that's, and that, that's, you know, something like I'll, I'll drive home or, or fly home. My first summer I flew home with a catcher's bag full of broken bats. Um, that was very expensive. <laughs> and then last, last season I drove home with another catcher's bag full of broken bats. And, um, you know, I think and guys understand that maybe not immediately, but down the road, they'll probably get something out of it. I, I whipped up a couple of bottle openers for all of our catchers after the, the season and gave them to them in spring training as a kind of a, a delayed thank you for making my stuff look good. And, right. you know, guys, guys appreciate that because it's, it's something that kind of comes back to them and they can, they can then talk about it. And that's, again, one of those things that 50 years down the road after you know, we're all old and gray. You've still got that bottle opener on your mantelpiece and you can, you can tell a story with it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's why I wanted you on the podcast, man. Just a fucking innovator. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, I, I was going to ask about the putters. Um, oh, 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 no. N- disregard that. The broken bats. Like I was actually just having that. It's crazy that we were doing that. Cause I was actually just having that conversation with my roommate about it. And we were talking about like, yeah, well, having feel and, and going, cause there are people, yeah, that collect broken bats exhibit a right here. Um, but I wonder like clearly a lot of the minor leagues does not have feel. So like, are there just guys, you know, like in inner squads just being like right on the mound, like after they break someone's bat, like, Hey bro, like throw that over there. Like that's, that's mine. Like I, I've always wondered, <laughs> Like, that, would be, that would be pretty bad. That would be pretty bad. <laughs> I, I, Razo, I, I have never seen that. And, and I think I'm, I'm probably one of the, the more avid collectors of, of fallen soldiers in that yeah. regard. And, you know, I, I would never do that. If it's, if a guy brings it in and he's got a locker next to mine, sometimes I'll ask, but, but normally I, I get most of my lumber from the trash can. Um, or, you know, guys will just leave it in their locker. Like, I don't want it. Right. Because um, so ultimately, a, a broken bat is not not the easiest thing to transport. You know, you're not going to shove it in your backpack and just walk away with it. It does become kind of burdensome. Right, and you cannot keister it on an airplane. 
you know, it's a weapon. One would hope. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that would be, that would be very, um, very uncomfortable. <laughs> very, very much so. Um, but it's a perfect segue, you know, the, the way you've kind of been able to uh, make something out of all this stuff. That's good. You're putting it to good use. You know, it's not like a, a serial killer type situation where you just keep all them in the fridge. Um, so that's really good. But I do want to get into your time at Harvard. Um, like I do for my interviews, I prepare. Failing to prepare is preparing to fail. Um, so I did want to research. I want to ask you, I guess, who are your top three favorite Harvard alumni? Oh, boy, that's kind of a loaded question, huh? It is. And no, Got I know. I'm asking the hard-hitting ones. Yeah, you asked that because you know who the GM of Brewers is. Um, I actually have no idea. Oh, okay. Well, so I, that's, that's where is I thought you were going Got, with it. Dave, oh, no. Yeah, David no Stern, <laughs> is he really? Yeah, David Stearns was a, is a Harvard grad. Um, His name is the, David the current Stern? GM of the Brewers. Stearns. Oh, Stearns. Not to be confused with the old... NBA commish rest in peace. No, no, okay. not, not the same. Um, okay. And then Brent Suter is also a, a pitcher. I think he's starting tonight actually with the Brewers uh, fellow Harvard grad. So, so those are your top, you know, there's, <laughs> those are your top two right there. Well, no, that's, that's what I thought the motivation for the question was. Um, okay. I'm not sure if I've ever given a, you know, favorite is a tough term. And, and there are, I'll tell you, there are a lot of characters that came through the program, even in my, my short four years. Um, tough to give you a straight answer. And, and I think that's, that's maybe a, a longer question than, than maybe you were bargaining for, because I got some, some, some different, some different thoughts. Um, so, so looking it up on Wikipedia, there is like a section for, I'm not going to read all of them, but it's like business, law, military, journalism, literature, film, you know, religion. There's actually one that's pretty alarming that I do want to bring up if you're, we can circle back to your favorite alumni, but there's a criminals <laughs> section. Are, oh, are yeah. you aware I mean, of the dark to, history of, for sure. Yeah, that I didn't know the Unabomber. Yeah, we, we got the Unabomber. We're not. We're not. Uh, we're not going to shy away from that. You can ask the hard-hitting questions. Wow. Yeah. So I didn't know if you were aware of the dark history. I mean, look, it's a lot of murderers on this list. There's one guy, Stephen H. Kessler. I'm not sure if uh, you guys know know about the Mad LSD Slayer of 1967, um, but apparently he would just. No, I I wasn't alive in 1967. Yeah, I didn't know if that's kind of like, you know, folklore on the Harvard campus where, you know, it's kind of just like, once again, about like your no-hitter, if there's just whispers. <laughs> yeah, there might have been like a Lifetime movie. I on, think on I think they're talked about uh, equally much, which is to say not, a, not at all. Okay. Okay. Well, I, yeah, like I said, you know, I, Harvard's known that's put in esteem. You know, you guys got Matt Damon. Um, it's put in esteem, but there just know there is an entire section of of wikipedia it's either a mass murderer or it's fraud yeah a lot of yeah fraud. we do we do pretty well with fraud i would say some tax evasion a lot, mixed of, in. lot of opportunities there hey yeah. noah i i did have a question well two questions the first one is a no hitter is a no hitter but did it mean more going against because it came against yale yeah it did um okay. <laughs> that's 
And, and, and honestly, when I came into the program as a freshman and even as a sophomore, the, the baseball rivalry was, was with Dartmouth, really, because mm. every year our final series would be a home and home with Dartmouth. And, and that was always the most contentious one. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Harvard Yale football is big and, and right. Harvard Yale anything is going to be a little bit elevated. Um, but it, it, it was it was very cool because it was Yale and because Yale was really good that year. Um, right. They I, I, they were the either the one or the two team in the league. Um, and so, you know, it was it was very cool to, to have that be the case. It wasn't kind of a a random school like Cornell up there in nowhere, New York. Um, right. Yeah. Well, that kind of leads me to my second question. And you can answer this as bluntly or as politically correct as you want. Um, you know, when it comes to the Ivy League schools, we, we all we all can imagine just like we, we all do in, in every part of life. Who's the school that's at the bottom of the totem pole? Like, yeah, they're an Ivy League, but... The anus of the Ivy League. Who's the basement of the Ivy League? Well, Rosa, those are, those are your words, and I, I won't use them, but it very much is Cornell, I would say. Okay. Um, <laughs> Cornell is the anus of the Ivy League. <laughs> not said it, by it, no one. It's, it's, it's a personal, it personally not my... My, maybe my least favorite place to go because it's tough to get there and it's always mm-hmm. cold and rainy. Um, and that's strictly from a, a baseball standpoint, you know, it's never fun to pitch in the 30 degree wind chill. And I think we, sh- my senior year, we showed up there and it was snowing. Um, right. Just not a fun time. Okay. So that's so Ivy. They also, too. they also had my, they also had my number. I mean, I never pitched well against them. Yeah. I like that. Got it. So, I like that. So, so that, that you, say you took too. it personally. Yeah. Yeah, I love that's so Ivy League too that you guys just play on Saturday and Sunday. It's like we got to do something like different, so we're just gonna separate ourselves from the rest of the pack. So we're just gonna play. Well, it's because we're not allowed to miss class. You get you can miss I think five class days a year for for athletic competition, and anything else is, has got to be you know specially approved or something like that. So was it, it really be, hard? What? Harvard. Harvard. <laughs> Was it really hard? Like the school? <laughs> yeah. Was it really hard? I, I mean, that's that's a good question. It it is a good question, and and the answer you get will will very much depend on who you ask it to. Uh, I I was a psychology major. But he has um, nothing to compare it to, right? You only went to Harvard. Yeah, yeah. that's that's true. I did only go there. Um, so, I, what what is well, hard? But, but just. But but think about it. Just just like any school you go to, if you're if you're, you know, a, a pre-med track or an engineering track or a heavy-duty, um, you know, STEM track, you're going to have labs and and you you're just going to have a lot more time demand. Um, and so so for me, I, I found that the psych courses were fascinating, and also fit the schedule really well. So it was it was kind of a double bonus in that. I could take classes I was very, very interested in. And so they didn't feel like they were work. Um, and I also didn't have to work super hard to kind of finagle them into my schedule as it related to baseball, where we had, we had pre-med students uh, on the team who, you know, their days were class in the morning, show up, you know, in the nick of time to get to practice and then lift and then leave immediately after lift to get to lab. 
and like and not eat dinner. You know, they they would eat dinner at nine when lab was over or something like that. And so, right. You know, of course that's hard, but that exists at any school with a, a pre-med program or anything like that. Right. Um, you know, what you just said brings up, or what you just described brings up a great point that I actually just kind of a light bulb went off. And it's kind of an issue that I think a lot of um, student athletes deal with, and I've, I've written about it. And it's basically just about how you give everything and, and you know, you, Orlando, you guys were drafted, right? I'm, I, I was not. And, and I'm sure there was guys on your team that obviously didn't get drafted either. And when you look at a lot of these other schools, because there is, you know, I, I think there are schools that have an Ivy League mindset that do really care about education. I would probably put the Stanfords and maybe the Dukes in that category. But for the most part, you are there to, to play a sport as far as the coach is concerned. And what I'm getting at is you find yourself not drafted, not signed, your career is over. And as you know, when it comes to internships, depending on, you know, how your coach is and how realistic you are, when it comes to internships, baseball, you play year round. You're the, we're the only college sport that does not stop. As far as I'm concerned, basketball, they probably play, you know, they, they stay hot football. They're always practicing together. We are, we have to join summer, summer programs. And what I'm getting at is do you, do you think more, even though there's only one Harvard, there's only Ivy Leagues or Ivy Leagues, do you think more schools, I think, should adopt more of a, I guess the, the term would be a realistic mindset, right? Like, I feel like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, your coaches sat certain players down, or, or you just knew because of how much you cared about education. It's just like, okay, I need to start preparing for life after baseball, because I'm probably not going to the league versus a lot of these other schools. Most of these other schools, everything is about the team. Everything is about the team. Then one day you graduate. See ya. Thanks for your time. And you're like, Oh, I haven't done an internship. I don't even know what I want to do in life. Right. You know, sure. I had the, you know, the, the communications degree or whatever degree you, they, you know, helped you to get through to make sure you graduate. And now you're, you're sitting there like, okay, so what do I want to do? And that's why so many athletes end up, you know, in like sales and stuff. They're like, do you have an athletic or a competitive mindset? Get them into sales. And there's nothing wrong with sales, but I feel like it's just because nobody really knows because while you're there, that's the number one priority. And I feel like there's certain schools like Harvard and I, you know, when I finished school, I interned at Cal and Cal is another school that, you know, they try to now the, now the football players, they all think they're going to the pro. So it's kind of where they have to try, you know, super hard but i think you know what i'm getting at is just that they don't prepare you i don't think enough colleges prepare you and are realistic with you uh when it comes to life after college it's just like give everything you can to the school and then when it's time to to graduate see you later so i, I guess I'll, I'll try and address that in, in different parts and and where i want to start is with scholarships um and i think that is the the main arbiter and also the main difference between the Stanford's and the Dukes of the world, because those are, are obviously phenomenal schools and both have phenomenal baseball programs. I am not privy to the inner workings of, of either, but I, I do know that both of those schools offer athletic scholarships and Harvard and, and the Ivy League in general does not. And so that creates a little bit more 
it, it almost for, forces the coaching staffs in, in, the, in the baseball program and, and in any sport at these Ivy League schools to be to be more accommodating. Um, and, and it differs. Um, different coaches are you know, ex- expect different things. But at the end of the day, there isn't a scholarship that's hanging over any athlete's head that can be pulled. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and, and obviously that's always a major consideration. But I, I would say in my experience, the, the the Harvard baseball coaching staff was always very, very attuned to the needs of its its players as students as well as uh, baseball players. And so while there was the expectation that you would play summer ball, especially after freshman year, sophomore year, that was that was held in balance with the understanding that a lot of these kids that they recruit, you know, they're not they're not recruited for their their pro prospects. They're not recruited because you know they're they're hoping to be drafted necessarily. Um, they're they're recruited because they're very good high school baseball players are very academic and the coaching staff thinks they can cut it in the Ivy league. And that's great. And to that point, a lot of, a lot of guys have since come out of Harvard as draft picks and and to some extent other Ivy league schools as well. But I guess, I guess what I'm kind of circling around is that there isn't this, this upward pressure, you know, where it's like you owe us, we own you. Um, you can't take that class because it interferes with practice or, or you can't go and do that internship because, you know, we demand that you play. Right. And so my, my experience was, was always, you know, a little bit more flexible in that regard. That, you know, if there's a class you need to take, you got to take that class and, and get your work in on your own time. So, and, and that, that came with its, you know, its own set of issues or, or challenges because another major difference between a school like, Harvard and a school like Sanford say is that we are students or we were students that happened to play a sport. Uh, we were not treated as, you know, a, a separate class of student as, as a student athlete. We we'd had no class selection preference, no housing preference. There was no athlete D hall. Wow. There's no study hall, no tutors, nothing like that. The, the support system available to you, is essentially your team, your coaches, and yourself. Um, and in that regard, it's it's fairly sink or swim. And a lot of guys swim because that's really the only option. Um, there there isn't, you know, you, you don't have you don't have the same. Um, pri- I get I guess priority. Ultimately, that's what it boils down to in in class selection, which would be an enormous gift to, to athletes at these Ivy league schools because you functionally only have half a day to take class and you have to be at practice the other half. Um, and, and I, in my four years at school, the coaches were, were phenomenal about understanding these different challenges. You know, it, it is difficult. And I, I think they understand that the majority of their players will go on to be doctors and lawyers and politicians and, you know, business people, finance guys, they'll, you know, they'll be wearing suit and ties, not jerseys and cleats, right. where that that's slightly different at a school like a Stanford or a Duke because they're, you know, they generate more pro talent. Um, that's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's sort of a long winded way of saying that, you know, it's, it's tough for me to comment on yeah. what other schools expect of their players, but right. I, I always well, that makes sense. 
saw the, you know, the flexibility that, you know, the coaches wanted to work with you to make sure that, you know, everything, you, you, you could get all the, um, you, you could make all the hours in the day work for you, basically. Mm-hmm. A yeah. lot of those, a lot of those academic schools, like Davis sets their athletes up with like job fairs and all that stuff. So like a lot of those academic schools are going to work to set their, um, their players up for, for life after baseball. Yes, you know, absolutely. The, the alumni do. network is, is in exceedingly strong. Um, and there, there are those job fairs as well. You know, all, all of that exists. Um, and so it's, it's certainly not the kind of thing where it's like, all right, you know, you graduated, see ya. Um, and I've, I've had good success reaching out to, to various alums, you know, just for you know, different parts of the country or for different work experience, that kind of, you know, that kind of advice plays well. Um, and so, so you're absolutely right, Razo, in that the, the networks for student athletes um, are, are very strong generally. Yeah, that's very no, true. Yeah, no. Thanks for taking us through that. No, I, I definitely hear what you're saying. I guess my, my beef, if you will, you can't really compare. It's really apples and oranges because of, like you said, the expectation and the scholarship. So it is different. I, I do think that for a lot of these schools, um, you know, everybody, UCs are, are pretty high up there when it comes to, you know, academics as well. But for, for some of these, for a lot of these schools, I just think that, you know, even if there's a job fair, it's just like, well, you, you know, you set it up. Did you make, did you make them go? You know what I mean? So right, I think there right. just needs to be more done, especially while you're not paying these guys, you know, maybe if you're paying these guys, I feel a little better about it, which is a conversation for a different day. But while you're not, you know, I just think a better job needs to be done. Right. I agree. There's, it's definitely a problem at some schools without mm-hmm. a doubt. Without and thank a doubt. you for that, Noah. Yeah, of course. I, uh, I got one more question. It's not even a question. It's just kind of a, well, I don't know if it's a command. I wouldn't call it a command either, but I heard, uh, that you allegedly attended the 2018 world series, every game that was in Boston. So I don't know how many games that is, but you did not buy a ticket. And we spoke about this briefly. I don't know what the statue of limitations is in massachusetts but they won the world series so maybe if you if they lost they'd be like well we got this asshole who gave us the bad juju but they won so you allegedly snuck into each game of the world series do you want to either confirm that story and kind of take us through how you did that if you were nervous if you had to run from someone um so take us through that yeah of course and and you know i i can confirm um the the statement of fact is that for every home playoff and world series game, the Red Sox played in 2018, I was at Fenway park. Um, and that was, that was made possible by my off season job, which was, uh, as a, like a research assistant in the English department at Harvard, which happens to be fairly, fairly close. You know, it's about a mile, mile and a half, maybe two miles from Fenway. Um, I think, Maybe as the crow flies, I, I don't know. Anyway, it's, it's walkable. It's, it's walkable. Um, you just, you know, nice, nice stroll down, down the Charles and eventually you'll get there. Um, so, so proximity wise, it, it worked. I was in the right place at the right time. And I went to high school uh, in Acton, Massachusetts, which is 30 minutes west of the city. 
uh, and one of my teachers works at Fenway, uh, or, or former teachers uh, worked at Fenway while I was a student there. And so if you really want to add some juice to the story, in 2017? No, I was a 2014 grad, so it would have been 13. In 2013, when the Red Sox won the World Series, I was at Fenway for game six against the Cardinals with my dad, not a ticket to spare between us. Um, and that's, that was all part of, you know, me being friendly with this, this teacher. Um, he said, Hey, you know, come by in the second inning. So I came by in the second inning, gate swung open and I was in. Wow. That wow. is ultimate finesse. You and your dad. So where did you, I mean, you were, had to be a nomad. Uh, just kind of moving around. So where did you, I guess, uh, anchor yourself down? You're you're not going to believe me, um, but for the first, I, I don't know how many games it, it actually was. I can can look back on that, but I I was asked to move very very seldomly, um, and and I you know I found these these box seats. They they were like lodge box seats. These these are absurdly good seats they were empty i sat down and obviously when when you're when you're running that kind of game any anytime someone says hey you're in my seat you say oh yeah okay sorry just keeping it warm for you move on no harm no foul um but that didn't happen to me very often and there were i I would say the majority of games i found a seat in that kind of area up on the the first baseline you know where where i could have tossed a rock and hit the first baseman. You know, I was that close to the field uh, and wasn't asked to move the entirety of the game. Jeez. <laughs> that is incredible. That's an incredible story. So, I, I mean, I'm assuming, uh, I don't want to incriminate you like further, but I'm assuming the Red Sox make the World Series again. You're in the off season. Probably going to go again. Is that, is that wrong? It, well, it, it very much depends on where I am. Um, this past off season, I was in Arizona, and so had the Sox been in the series, that that would not have worked. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I guess I can't confirm or deny that. It, it very because I don't I don't I don't make my off season home in Massachusetts necessarily. I just kind of go wherever the game takes me um, at this point. That. So. I'm, I'm kind of I'm staring down the barrel of another off season here in Arizona uh, at this point. So I mean I, I'd like to think that you know were I to be in Massachusetts and were the Red Sox to be in the playoffs, that would certainly be something I would take advantage of. Um, but I will say the the fact that not only was I in Massachusetts but was was living in Cambridge at the time and you know didn't didn't have a car, didn't need a car. I just walked to the field so I didn't have to mess around with parking or even public transportation. It was, it was so easy. It was, there was no excuse not to, it would be, you know, right. You would be 650 and I'd be like, yeah, I mean, it's 650. I'm like, uh, you know, it's kind of chilly out. Eh, whatever. I'll like, I'll, I'll walk over and I'll see if I can get in. Work like a charm. What a life. What a life. Yeah, it was, it was pretty sweet. It was pretty sweet there for about a month. Well, if like when you get to the big leagues and you pitch in the World Series, can you just put us on the list? Absolutely. Please. There you go. Perfect. You're here first, folks. We're going. Book your, going book your flights. Book your Rob, flights from Milwaukee. Wrong, but 
I don't remember the pass list being a, like a big thing in Everett. So you even... had two names. There's just two people, two people on the pass list at all times. Uh, you could have like, if you had a big group of people, cause I think I had like three people on the list one time. So I just had, you know, someone put that name on, on their, on their list. But yeah, I think it was just two people. What, what was it like in Carolina? Well, I, I, by that statement, I just meant that I don't, I don't remember the past list being this, you know, a focal point. And I guess maybe it was on that bulletin board, but in Carolina, we had a, you know, a, a, like a meeting table in the center of the locker room. And that's always where the past list was. So you like, you couldn't not see it. Um, right. It was on, well, so ever, we had like a tiny bulletin board in Everett and like, yeah. Was yeah. On, in the pitcher's clubhouse. Yeah. 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 Two, the two separate clubhouses. That was wild. That was so wild. So weird. So it was a high school locker room. It was a high school football locker room. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. It was great times. You got any other questions, Al? I'm good. I'm good. Um, this was awesome. Like we just went for, uh, I believe an hour and, and it felt like five minutes. So Oh um, yeah. I thought, I thought I had a lot of fun. Uh, once again, thanks so much for taking the time and you're welcome on any time, by the way. So we've yet to hey, have if a you, if you come up with any other offbeat questions or anything you got for me, just let me know. Cause I'm always, I'm always happy to talk baseball or pretty much anything else too. Current events. I know you Great. are. That's why, that's why I wanted you on. Cause we're, <laughs> we're more than, we're more than a baseball podcast here. You know, we're, we're life. Absolutely. There you go. All right. No, I appreciate you taking the time once again, and uh, we'd love to have you on again sometime. All right, guys. Sounds good. Thanks, man. Take care. Yeah, take it easy. We'll see you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.